Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. There is in Deuteronomy chapter 21, this powerful and beautiful uh, command that's given to the people of Israel. God tells them, when you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. That is why I'm giving you this command. The Israelites were called to remember their, their place of of bondage. They were called to remember their chains. Um, but it wasn't to provoke bad memories, um, but it was meant to be this, this instruction to, to the people of God that would be formative for their hearts. Because it was this place of recognizing that God met us in our deepest point of pain um, as a people. He brought deliverance. His faithfulness and His goodness was, was shown to us. And that became formative for them as a people. That if God treated us this way, then the way that we regard one another, the way that we live in this land is meant to be defined by God's goodness extended to us. I mean, think about it, being called God's chosen people, <laughs> being called this, this unique possession uh, of the Lord could lead to one of two ways, right? It's either going to lead to this point of major arrogance, like, ah, who is else is like us? Or it could, be, it could lead to this place of, of deep humility and gratitude. And actually, when you look over the pages of the Old Testament, you actually see that tension that, that the people of Israel are constantly coming in, in and out of, where they overlook the people around them, or the way that they overlook one another. Um, but then the places of, of major celebration and gratitude and thanksgiving that happens um, for the Lord's generosity and, and unwavering affection extended to them. If you remember our time a few months ago in the book of Jonah, um, you'll remember that, that Jonah is, is ticked. Maybe that's the, I mean, that's very likely the right way to say it, because what, what he's understanding is that God is calling him to go bring a message to people that were regarded as his enemies. The, the Assyrian people he was meant to bring this message to. And, and the Assyrians were a people that oppressed. They were a people um, that conquered. They, they were the enemies of the Israelites. And so to have this call for Jonah was, was a place of, of major disruption and discouragement in his life because he knew, right? And we read later on in, in, towards the tail end of the book of Jonah that, man, God, I know you're a God that is quick 
to forgive and to and un, and filled with unfailing love. So that's why I ran away from you when you called me to go preach to the people of Nineveh. And and that was that was this mirror in the face kind of moment for the book for for Jonah, the prophet Jonah, and and that mirror in the face type of moment for all of God's people, right? Because what Jonah was saying is is the Assyrians, of which Nineveh was a major major city, his perspective was they are not worthy of that kind of unfailing love and mercy extended to them. And the mirror in the face was, do you think that you are? <laughs> do you think that you deserve this unwavering faithfulness and affection extended towards you, right? It's supposed to be this place in which God is, is, is bringing Jonah and the people of Israel back to that same heart that he, he, he hopes gets gets grounded in them that he communicated in the book of Deuteronomy. You were slaves. You were met in your places of bondage. You, I didn't choose you because there was something outstanding about you compared to all the other nations. No, it is simply because I love you. And, and so you didn't deserve my, my affection and grace extended to you, but I did extend it to you. And because of that, now you're supposed to be participants of that same grace, forgiveness, generosity, provision, kindness to one another and to the people around you. It's the same kind of message that Jesus teaches us in this uh, parable that he tells of the unforgiving servant. And what happens there is that a man is, owes all kinds of debt to a king and he's called into the courts of the king, and, and the, this, this, the, the, the servant falls down, his face ground to, before the, the king is just like, I don't have the ability to, to pay this. And the king says, like, just completely forgives all of his debt. Well, the man goes outside, and, and as he does, he sees a, someone that owes him just a minuscule amount of money, and he goes and he grabs a hold of him, and he says, pay back what you owe me, and he gets that guy thrown into jail. And, and, and the master, the king, hears about how this guy went out and lived after his great debt being forgiven, and, was, and, and that was the, that place of saying, I treated you a certain way. I, I've extended grace, I've extended mercy, I've extended forgiveness to you in profound ways, in, in uh, incalculable ways. And then you go out and live a certain way, right? And, and, and the lesson in all of this is the, the means by which I've been made alive. The means by which I've received forgiveness and provision and grace, the, the means by, I, I, I've, I've experienced the goodness of God extended towards me. And now that is meant to define how I live. I, I don't just receive God's grace. I don't just receive his mercy. I don't just receive this new life that he gives to me, but I'm supposed to participate in it. I'm supposed to partake of it. I'm supposed to partner with God in extending his goodness to, to the world around me. 
a, a really big mistake that Larissa and I made quite a few years ago. Um, we, we were going out to see a movie and we arrived a little bit late. Um, and the only, the only seats that were available were in the very front row. And I, I really dislike sitting in the front row. But it was like, well, let's go ahead and let's just do it anyways. And we buy our tickets and, and we're sitting in the very front row. And, and the trouble was we were so extremely close to the screen. But even more the trouble was we were watching the movie I Am Legend, which is this zombie movie. And we were just so overwhelmed by what was happening in the screen. It was a terrible experience. Like we should have left the movie theater, but we, we stuck through it. And it was just, I mean, we still talk about that time. Like when we go to the movies together, I was like, well, do you, if the front row is available, we just do not choose the front row. But listen, here's why I say that. The, the thing about zombie movies, right, is, is that what they are bitten by they are completely transformed by. And then they become participants of that which they were infected with. And, and I think that that kind of understanding, but in a good way, is meant to be what we understand when we talk about this word gospel. When we talk about the, the preaching and the spreading of the good news, it's this place saying that which we are recipients of, we are meant to be partakers of, participants and partners of. What, what we've been bitten by becomes the defining form of our lives. What has marked our lives becomes what we long to share. God has interacted with me in this way, and that's the way that I am learning to interact with others. God's love expressed towards me creates an affectionate disposition towards others. And, and all of this is the understanding of partnership and partaking. I share all this to say, listen, at the beginning of Paul's letter to the book, uh, to the people in Philippi, he is commending them. He is celebrating with them. Because what he sees in them is that they are partnering and participating in the good news. They are, they are partaking of grace together. He's ecstatic. He's ecstatic because the generosity, the grace, the kindness, the provision that was shown to them has become who they are. The gift of good news has become their nature. Because again, we become active participants in what God has demonstrated to us. As we get to know Jesus more and more, we become, we become formed to be like Jesus. And so over the course of our time in this, in, in this letter to the church of Philippi, one of the reoccurring themes that you're going to hear from us is, is, is what Paul says to the, to the church later in this chapter. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. And it's this place of saying we desire for our living to look like Jesus, for our life to be defined by him, for our lives to rotate around him. Because we, again, we aren't just recipients, but we're partners. 
We're partakers. We're participants. We share. We partner. We support. We're filled with concern. We pray. Because that's what God has done for us. Words like freely received, freely given, blessed to be a blessing, becomes the motto of our lives. So when Paul writes to the Philippian church, it's an explosion of joy because what he's, what he's celebrating and commending and what he sees in them is the good news of Jesus has completely shaped how you're living, how you're spending your life. He's saying, you're participating with me in the good news. You've given to my work of sharing the gospel in such generous ways. You're in on this mystery too. And it's completely transformed and shaped how you're living and how you're interacting with one another. You are partaking of grace together is what Paul writes to them. And what specifically has provoked this within them? What, what was it that, that really showed to Paul they were partaking and they were participating in this? Well, it was because he was in jail. Paul writes this letter to the, to the church in Philippi as he's in jail. I know we've mentioned that quite a bit, but here's what's happening. Is, is the Philippians have supported Paul financially as he's in chains because of sharing the good news of Jesus. In an honor and shame culture, Paul being in jail would be a major point of shame. The Roman world would look down upon Paul. Yet his being in jail actually becomes a place of connection and affection for Paul and the Philippians. They don't run away from Paul because he's in jail. They run toward him. And, and that running towards Paul would actually then cause them to participate and partake of his shame. Think about it. Paul's in jail because in the land of Caesar, he's going around and he's declaring this news of a king that the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's very potentially on, on death row because of that. He, you even see later on that he begins to have this, this dialogue of like, Dude, I might die or I might live. And then eventually he lands in this place of saying, I, I want to live so that way my life could be shared with you. Right? You think about the danger of, for the Philippian church of intertwining their lives with Paul. What, what, what he's in jail for, to come alongside and say, we're with him. We're partners with him. We're, we're partakers of that same news. Puts him in that place of jeopardy. They're in a colony of Rome. They're in a colony that has, colony that has high effect for Rome. It is very likely that members of the Philippian church were former military members, maybe even current military members of the Roman army. Remember last week that one of the, the founding members of this church, one of the first people to be part of this church was a jailer who had high affection and commitment to the Roman empire. And yet 
what so what they're doing is to say we're with Paul that there's a there's a king there's there's a king named Jesus and again so what Paul hap, what happens is Paul's ecstatic because of their level under, of understanding of of what it means to be hearers of the good news it means that your life is intertwined with that good news. And they're, they're coming to Paul and saying, Paul, if you're in jail because of the gospel, then we're going we're gonna to partake and participate in your suffering. We're right there with you, man. We're right there with you. And it's a stunning and humbling view of fellowship for the church. What, what, what fellowship is, is this place of saying we have seen the spaces and circumstances that God has met us in. We have seen the way that he has joined himself to us in our places of shame and suffering. And that has completely formed and informed how we participate and partake of one another's places of pain, shame, and suffering. We can join one another now in these places of deep pain, suffering, shame, hunger, and lack, because we've seen how Jesus has met us in those spaces. And we're not just going to be recipients of that. We're going to partner with that. That's how we're going to live. That's going to inform every space about us. And so the word that Paul uses here when he talks about the joining of our lives together when he talks about the fact that you are participants and, and, and partners in the spreading of the good news, the word that he uses is the Greek word koinonia. And so depending on which translation you're reading, when you're looking at Philippians uh, chapter 1, you're going to see one of three words for that, word, that original Greek word koinonia. You're going to see fellowship, but you're, all gonna, you're also going to see partnership and participation. It's this active and engaged view of what it means to be followers of Jesus together. It's this place of saying, Christian community and fellowship is built upon us extending to each other what we are receiving from Jesus. The idea here is that we actually become active participants and partakers of what we're continually receiving from Jesus. That is the foundation of Christian fellowship. Fellowship is this place of saying, I'm, I'm, I'm in this. I'm giving all that I am to this. And so I love the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his, words, in his book, Life Together. This is what he says. He says, when God was merciful, when he revealed Jesus Christ to us as our brother, when he won our hearts by his love, this was the beginning of our instruction in divine love. When God was merciful to us, we learned to be merciful with our brother. When we received forgiveness instead of judgment, we too were made ready to forgive our brethren. What God did to us, we then owed to others. The more we received, the more we were able to give. And the more meager our brotherly love, the less we were living by God's mercy and love. Thus, God himself has, 
taught us to meet one another as God has met us in Christ. And later down the page, this is what he says, our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. The idea of, of hearing and receiving the good news that Jesus is King is to participate in that news, is for that to be formative for us, is for that to define who we are. And you're probably thinking like me, that's great. How do we do that? How do we live that way? Because like you, I fall short of that. And so that's why Paul, in this, in this paragraph, it's actually a run-on run sentence that he has here. It's all one sentence that we just read, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. But in the middle of that, that's why he, he makes sure to communicate this. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. God's Spirit will be the one to do that good work. It's Him. And until that day when He comes and beautifully and perfectly marries heaven and earth and makes all things right, in the meantime, what He's doing is He's forming us. It's His Spirit that is empowering us and to be able to live this way, to actually be able to participate and partake with one another. The experience of God's generosity towards us creates an active and participatory posture towards others. Again, hear the emphasis on that word creates. We become formed while we're being conduits. We're actively becoming what we're communicating and sharing with one another, and that is according to the work of God's Spirit. The idea is to share what he's pouring into us. God is pouring into us his love, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his generosity, his provision. And that is, that is being poured into us. We are meant to pour out to the world around us. So yes, it is to our personal benefit that God is, is, is showing us and we are recipients of his grace, provision, kindness, deliverance, restoration, right? You can keep on going on and on. But his work in showing us to that is so powerful that when he shows it to us, it actually begins to shape us. That's the idea here. And so maybe it's this pace of saying when we are not seeing the changes, the, the things happening in the world around us that we long to see happening, is to say that part of that, part of that could be that what God is pouring into his people, we're then not participating and partnering in that. And so what we're longing to see happen and change and shift and, and, and be different in the world around us and amongst our community and in, in our own lives, it could very well be the case that the reason that we're not seeing that is because we're not extending what has been poured into our lives. 
he, but he will, he's faithful and he will continue this good work. But, but let's, wrap, let's wrap up our time w- with the reflection on joy. Because this becomes a joy-filled dance. When Paul writes to the Philippian church here, at the beginning of his letter, he is filled with joy. He's ecstatic. He celebrates them. He talks about them having a special place in his heart. And it is so refreshing to see the church enamored with one another, not complaining about each other, but like, but it is filled with great gratefulness and affection for each other, filled with joy and thanksgiving for each other. Paul is giddy. He's grateful. And I can't help but thinking, man, what a beautiful picture of what the church is meant to look like. Paul and the Philippians are like that really sweet old couple at a wedding. It's not their wedding, but what's happening is, you know, the the dance floor is filled and it's just this, this elderly couple that is spending the entire night just enamored with each other, affectionate toward each other, dancing with each other. And you see, and you see in that just a beautiful picture of what your marriage could be or what your relationships could look like. And you know that that connection just didn't happen overnight. But you know that it went through testing, it went through trials, it went through troubles. But it has been made so much more resilient and intimate because they dance together. And that that has been the posture of their marriage. And that's why at this night they can dance together and just smile at each other and enjoy one another. Because, listen, what I've learned is marriages disintegrate when we take the posture of recipients and not participants. But oh, the beauty and power of a people fully participating and contributing for the benefit of the other's well-being. That is the challenge, but the absolute place of joy. I am flourishing most in my marriage. I am flourishing most in my relationships. In seasons when my focus isn't on myself, but on the other. The times that there's less chaos, the, less that the, time, the times that there's less tension in, in the home is when I am present with the boys and I'm playing what they, what they want to play, when I'm involved with what they want to be involved in, right? It's this, but it's that space of saying, I'm coming in to serve and to be a part of your life and to invest in you and to pour into you and, and to be there for you, that the posture of my life is for you. To This is what it is to participate. This is what it is to partner, is to give all that I am to these relationships. See, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is trying to teach us something because every time that we go to order those waffle cut fries, they respond in a certain way. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. That's it, right? It's that place of saying, I get joy. I get delight from being able to serve you. And and I imagine that even though that might be something that they're learning to say and it feels a little bit weird or maybe they're going home at the end of a hard day and saying, I don't know if that was really enjoyable, but that is supposed to become formative. That is on purpose to be able to say, where will I find joy? 
Where will I find pleasure? Will it be by just focusing on myself? No. It will be by sharing and giving that which I have received. That which God pours into me, it is my pleasure to be able to share that with one another. And again, Paul writes to the Philippian church, giddy, ecstatic, overflowing with joy. Because what he sees in them, you're partnering. You're participating. You're partaking. We are in this together. And I am filled with so much joy that you have decided to intertwine your lives with the message of good news in such a way that it gets all of you.